Well, I mentioned the uh, privilege that we have of, of having a uh, five and a half year or so connection with Daniel, of having, I guess, a number of us, a 12 year or more connection with uh, Brandon and his family. Uh, I have a 20 year plus connection with uh, Wayne and Michelle Shelton. Uh, my wife, Patience, grew up in the church that uh, Wayne, one of the churches that Wayne uh, pastored about an hour away from here. So we go back uh, quite a ways and have had the joy and privilege of, of knowing Wayne and Michelle being ministered to by them. Of course, uh, uh, Sam and Kristen, Kristen, uh, Wayne's uh, eldest daughter, and uh, Sam, one of our ruling elders here at Cross Creek Church there in our church body is, as well. So we continue that, that ongoing connection with their, their family. But, um, but it's a great, been a great blessing to see uh, Wayne, as he has, uh, in, in God's providence and God's direction, uh, come here, uh, back here to Birmingham, uh, ministering a number of different places around the southeast, and back here to Birmingham, and now called to this work of church planning in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, and was ordained last year uh, with, with our denomination, is now serving with this church plant in Gardendale. So you all know a good deal about that if you've been here from week to week as we pray for them regularly, uh, but exciting to have Wayne come to share God's word with us today in our kickoff of our missions month. Thank you. Well, I trust you've had a wonderful holiday season. We're delighted to be with you. I want to send greetings to you from Redeemer in Gardendale. And uh, this time last year, our group was still meeting in a house. Uh, we'd, uh, we're at the edges of uh, growing outside of this house. It was just too many people in too small an environment. A local church uh, allowed us to use their facilities on Sunday evening as it was uh, unused on Sunday evenings. And so we were able to meet in a, one of their conference rooms, uh, soon outgrew that conference room and uh, requested use of their fellowship hall. And uh, they granted that permission graciously to us and been so kind to us. And um, just this morning... Uh, we have begun services in a rented facility at the Gardendale Civic Center. I was telling Michelle on my way over here, it's probably a good thing that I wasn't there with the guys this morning because um, they're in a bit of a panic. And uh, that can be a good thing from time to time to give them a sense of all the things that must be done in the area of church planting. And um, those things, sometimes we, if we've grown up in the South, we've probably grown up in or around the church. And typically we walk in and everything's done for us. And uh, some of these guys were the same way. And they're wonderful guys. And uh, I really have a desire to love the Lord and serve Him. And so it was wonderful to see them stepping up to the plate and making sure things were in place. And indeed, God in His providence has provided for us. A young man that um, in his mid-30s uh, is also an ordained pastor that uh, we will uh, hopefully, Lord willing, see him ordained in the PCA this coming year, perhaps, and through church planners assessment. And we'll be able to send him out in planting a church either somewhere in one of our community areas or somewhere in this nation. Redeemer Gardendale has just a little under 50 people, 50 adults who are committed to us right now. Most of them 
are somewhere around their early 30s. Most of them as well were, are what is known as the millennial generation that was disaffected from the established church. Of course, coming from the southeast, they're all uh, outside of a church. They're all on a church roll somewhere. But most of these young men and women had found themselves outside of the church and with little to no interest of going back into the established church. And we've simply been able to meet them and God is opening doors for us to get to know them. They're reaching out to their friends and they're excited about the biblical faith and the reformed tradition and what God is doing in that respect. And so we are experiencing a wonderful blessing of God in that area. And we are so grateful. Not only that, the Lord is opening up, interestingly, um, some, some, some interesting doors for me in the community at large. Um, going into an area that's uh, highly baptistic, um, an area that, that is the church and the only church, essentially. Um, and coming out of that background, knowing that area very well, um, the Lord is just, uh, by His grace, showing me favor with the city leadership and letting me establish friendships with them and getting to know them. So it gives us a sense in our area, a sense of credibility. For we struggle, as do many churches in church planting, um, if you're going into an area that's not familiar with the PCA world, um, with, are you a cult? That seems funny, I know, to you guys, but that's a real issue for us. Who are we? And so God is establishing some opportunities for us in that respect. As Chris has mentioned, um, our connection goes a long way back, and it's so good to be with Chris and Patience and to see how God has used them mightily across the years, and we love them dearly. We love as well your elders here at the church, um, Charlie, who uh, serves on our, our temporary session, and Paul uh, Johnson uh, have befriended me in the early days of my returning to Birmingham under some very dark days in our life. And have just been tremendous blessings and encouragements to us. And we have special connections, as Chris mentioned, with our daughter, Kristen, and her husband, Sam, and Micah, and Marcus. We even brought our little church planter along with us this morning, Casey and Kelly's oldest daughter. Their son is sick this morning, so Merritt was able to come with us. And uh, she's such a big help at the church. And welcoming the other little children and loving on them. And it's never too early to begin church planting. It is a new year. Doubtless, some of you have been um, experiencing what many people in America do. What are those things called? You make it the first of the year and you break them. Um, resolutions, right? Yeah, some of you doubtless have played with those, toyed with those, thought about those. Some of you, uh, perhaps like myself, have long discarded some of that because you never would plan to keep them anyway. So you just learn to do away with that and seek the Lord's guidance. And 
making some goals in your life. Why do we do that? Why, why do we invest that kind of time and energy? Why do we get so excited about the incoming of a new year? And what in the world would that have to do with mission? How are you going to make this connection, you wonder, in that regard? Well, it has everything to do with mission. It has everything to do with living in mission. It has everything to do with the reason you get excited and thrilled about the beginning of a new year. Something new happening again. It has everything to do with it. Frederick Buechner in a wonderful quote says, The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you to is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's why you think about beginning again. It's why you are glad in some respects one year is coming to an end. And perhaps you can start over in some areas of your life. It's because you have a sense, a driving sense of this joy, this deep gladness that you long to experience. Significance or meaning. But better than that quote, let me direct your attention to one who is praying for you in that regard. If you have your Bibles with you, look at the Gospel of John in chapter 17. We're not going to do a lot of background work on that, but that is the high priestly prayer that we know of. And in this prayer, Jesus Christ is praying for you. And indeed, He is praying for your deep gladness, for your joy, for your significance and meaning in this life and this world. Now, He may not use all of those terms, but all those terms are revolving around that idea of knowing what God has called you to do and to be in this life. Let's look at John 17. We're just going to begin reading at verse 13 and we'll conclude at verse 19. Just a brief portion of this text. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, for as much as our whole salvation depends upon our true understanding of your holy word, 
grant to all of us that our hearts may hear and apprehend your word with all diligence and faith, that we we may rightly understand your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it to your praise and honor through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at our key focal point, verse 18. At verse 18, we read these words. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Here we have Jesus Christ praying for you and for me. He's praying, as Father, you have sent me into the world, so I am sending them into the world. Jesus Christ is coming to the last days of his life here in this world. And before he exits this world, he is praying for all of us. And he prays that our joy might be fulfilled. At verse 13, Father, the joy you've given me, give to them that they might know it. Indeed, As we consider this focal verse, there are several features of Christ's mission that really parallel our mission. Christ is sending each and every one of us on. As, Father, you sent me, so I send them. Now, if we're going to understand That deep gladness God is calling us to. We have to recognize His mission. So so what is His mission? There are several features here that we've got to cue in on. We don't have time for all of them this morning, so you need to know we're only going to be able to hit one of those. We'll touch the end. We're going to hit one. And we have to understand what is his mission so we can begin to understand what God has called us to in this world. That we might know the joy, that we might know the fullness of the life that he has for us. Now, notice at verse 13 again, where Jesus Christ says, these things I am speaking in the world. What things? What is he speaking in this world? He's he's praying to the Father. He's been teaching his disciples. And he's praying, Lord, Father, I've, I've spoken these things. What things? Most likely, it's the things he's talking about in chapter 17. Look at verse 4, for instance. We did not read this. But in verse 4, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then in verse 6, I have revealed, I have manifested your name to the people. And so these things are all about the work that Jesus Christ came to do. So if we're going to get a sense of what we're to be doing, we really do need to review what his mission was. And it's simple. His mission is because we have substituted ourselves 
for God. Because we have chosen to call our own shots in this life, we want to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong in our lives. We, we tend to live for our own importance and our own glory because we do those things on a regular basis. Jesus came. God put Himself in our place. Because we put ourselves in God's place regularly. Jesus' mission was to come to put God in our place. Because we have substituted ourselves for the things that only God deserves, then Jesus Christ took upon Himself the thing we deserve. So that we might get what we don't deserve. Jesus Christ, in other words, came specifically to take our punishment. He came to take our place. He came to die. Now, I didn't reveal anything to you that's new, most of you. But what is interesting is that the writer of Hebrews gives us just a little insight to how the Father told the Son about the mission in eternity past, and most specifically, the Son's response. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us that when the Father relayed the mission to Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ's response was joy. For the joy set before him, the writer says, Jesus Christ despised the shame of the cross and endured the pain of the cross that he might fulfill the mission that God sent him on. So as soon as Jesus Christ learns the mission, learns the prospect of what the Father has given him to do in this life, the Bible says joy was set before him. This deep gladness was set before him. Now, again, back at verse 13. These things, these things I speak in the world. Why? that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What does mission have to do with you? Yes, many of us are gifted and equipped to support and to pray and to give. What does this have to do with the life, the gladness, the joy that God has given us? Jesus says, for the joy... Set before him, he endured the cross. And the last thing he wants to teach us about before he dies on the cross is this mission. Why? So that we too would know this joy. Now, I have to tell you, this is not rocket science, folks. Children get this. 
They understand this. I mean, after all, all the great children's stories are about heroic, world-saving quest. About mission. The fairy tales, simply put, are about mission. And children get this. That is, they get it before we destroy their love and belief in world-saving missions and teach them cynicism and skepticism about really making any kind of lasting impact in people's lives. And we know children get it. You know it. Have you asked a seven or eight-year-old recently what they want to be when they grow up? You know the picture. Son, what would you like to be when you grow up? Well, you know, I, I think I just want a, a little cubicle with these blank walls around me, just stuck in this corner, inserting data for my life. No, no none of them ever say that, do they? What do they say? I want to be a policeman or a soldier or an airman or one of those superheroes. Why? Because they know. They know there's this tight connection, this link between world-saving missions and deep gladness. Between being involved in giving ourselves away for someone else and making a difference in other people's lives. And that's where you come in. And that's what Jesus wants you to know. And that's why He's praying for you this morning. And that's why He burdens your pastor and your missions team and your elders to pray and to work and to go through. Do you think they do all of this and in inviting people in and making all these arrangements just to fill the calendar? No. They do it because they understand that if you really are to experience the deep-seated joy that God has for you, you've got to taste a sense of the mission that God has called you to in your personal life. I can't tell you how my heart was encouraged by Daniel and Yatang this morning in Sunday school, just simply to sit there and to hear what God is doing in Taiwan. Or to hear about Brandon and the work that, that BTS and Third Mill is doing in reaching pastors and how my heart jumps with joy to know that we are looking at a big rural area that we're wanting to plant churches in outside of our community. But our struggle is equipping pastors and getting them to taste and to be able to be ordained and experience what they have to, that they can pastor these churches. And yet many of them don't have the resources and funds to move into a big city and to invest all that money. And so we're trying to think outside of the box to get guys out in rural areas where there are over 12, 1600 square miles. And I'm almost in the middle of it where there's not another reformed work. 
And we have guys that we want to get out there and we've got to get them equipped. That's why we do these things. Why? Because we know, we know this joy that God has for us is only known deeply. When we come to that place, we give our lives away for the gospel. You don't have to move to do that. Jesus is praying that for you right now, right where you are. It may be in your own personal home, adopting children others don't want. Who knows the vast array of possibilities? What we are finding is that we are being able to tap into a group of people in our area. That chances are many of their parents and definitely their grandparents grew up perhaps with the Peter, Paul and Mary era singing, if I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning, I'd hammer in the evening, I'd hammer all over the world, I'd hammer out danger, I'd hammer out a warning. And I'd hammer out love between. And a generation of people grew up in our nation. And they had this burden to change the world. And then many of them gave their lives away instead for money. Oh, they maintained their religion. They gave their lives away for money. And so many of these churches today that are established aren't tapping into young adults' hearts. Why? Because they see the difference. They can't articulate it, but they know. They know that a group, for the most part, have given themselves for this and not for the joy of the Lord. And they fall out of the church. And many of them to never return. And that's why church planting is so important. Because church planting from all the gurus of missiology and evangelism are telling us that church planting has replaced crusade evangelism, which all those people would have grown up around, as a means of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have to tell you, that's what we're finding. So how do we prevent them? How do you and I come into this joy that God has called us into? I said we were only going to get to touch one thing. That's the joy He calls you to. Now how do you do it? We'll have to come back and flesh it out. But the only way you can do it is the way Jesus did it. Look back at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Who sent Jesus into the world? The Father. Who was Jesus sending into the world? His disciples. The only way, the only way that you will have this passion, this burden is if you encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel spoke about this as he talked about Isaiah's encounter with the Lord in Sunday school. Daniel talked about how 
Isaiah, when he encountered God high and lifted up, what did, the, what did God do? Sent him out. And friend, when you encounter Jesus Christ, He turns your world upside down. And you'll never be the same. This is the question then. Have you encountered Jesus Christ? Do you know Him? Now, give me 30 more seconds. Don't imagine for a moment that it means you have to be a missionary pulling your roots up and moving to Taiwan with your family. My heart goes out and I rejoice in men and women who do that. But I have to tell you, I am... I don't see myself as a missionary. And yet, that's exactly what I'm doing. Right where you are in your work, in your field, when you're on mission for God, you're a missionary. In some form of that understanding, if if you are living intentionally with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as Beekner also says, go where your best prayer takes you. Let's pray. Father, in the grace of the Lord Christ, may we be a people who humbly follow you, boldly trust you, and gladly serve you. In Christ's name. Amen.